Our first scripture reading this morning is found in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And our memory verse for today, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The New Testament scripture today is from the book of Luke, chapter 15. It can be found on page 874 in your pew Bible. We stand for the gospel reading. The parable of the prodigal son. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young, younger son gathered all he had and took a journey, journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed by the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger, on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the very word of God. Mm, please be seated. Please be seated. Thank you. Ernest Hemingway um, wrote a book um, full of short stories. I'm a little overwhelmed that uh, someone with such genius as Ernest Hemingway um, would just have these little musings, these little thoughts that, that he started and, and never developed into one of his famous novels. Um, but but um, it was something that, that just touched his heart. He tells a story in, in uh, one of his books 
uh, about uh, a young man and his father who were struggling, who were struggling to get along. And as often happens, um, they said things to each other that hurt each other deeply. And, uh, and the young man uh, ran off. They lived in Spain at the time, and for the longest time, the father didn't hear from his younger son. And finally, as a last act of desperation, uh, the father went to Madrid, the largest in the 30s, one of the largest um, cities in in Spain, and uh, he put an ad in the newspaper, back in the days when people read newspapers. Um, He put an ad in and said, um, Paco, all is forgiven. Come home. Your father... And with fear and trepidation, he went to the place that he had invited Paco to come. And as Ernest Hemingwell tells the story, 800 Pacos showed, that's Paco, not Taco, 800 Pacos showed up. In other words, there's so many Pacos out there, people who feel far from their father, people who are longing to get back together, right? But whose pride won't let them, either on the father's side or on the son's side, on the mother's side or on the daughter's side, whose pride won't let them humble themselves and seek each other out. I think that Ernest Hemingway was on to something that far transcends um, Spain in the 1930s. It far transcends even even. Palestine in the first century when Jesus told this story that you just heard, it's, it's touching on the very core of who we understand ourselves to be. That's why we're spending so much time on this. Do you remember? We've been, we've been talking together about how Jesus set this table by telling three stories. He got us into a rhythm uh, of, of storytelling where something is lost. You remember? And something, then is someone makes a diligent search for it and it's found and then that the, the person who finds what's lost calls for this huge celebration, right? And then and he tells it again in case we missed it in the story of the woman. Now, now not a hundred sheep, but ten coins. And he tells it again in, in the same pattern. Something's lost. Someone makes a diligent search for it. And, and, and then it is found and there's great rejoicing. And last, in either of those stories that we missed the point, uh, Jesus spells it out. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than of all the others who don't feel that they need to repent. And so we've been exploring that story together. Well, the pinnacle of the story, Jesus sets us up for this Paco story, for this human drama of a son who asks for his father's inheritance, who says, basically, Dad, I wish that you were dead. And I could have all that you have. And last week we saw these astounding things that someone would actually ask that of. If Jim asked that of you, would you pound him? He doesn't look. He's such a. He's a nice guy. You would think about pounding him, wouldn't you? You would. Yes, you would. It's astounding that he would even dare to ask. And then we saw last week. It's astounding, even more so that that the Father would do it, right? And I don't know if you remember, but our last thought was that it was astounding that when the Son was lost, no one went after the Son. 
right? In the story of the sheep, someone went after the sheep. In the story of the coin, someone went after the coin, but nobody went after the coin. And it leaves us with this little holy discontent. We're, we're, we're saying, and Jesus is intending this. He's intending us to be discontent. He's, he's inviting us to be stirred on the inside. And to a certain extent, when we hear the story then, we, we are, are amazed that, that all of these events would happen. I want, to, I want to look just for a moment at the Son today and then for a moment at the Father and try and take another step down this journey of, of uh, inculcating this, this, uh, this parable into our lives, of stepping into this story. Do you watch what happened? When the Son came to the end of His resources, you have to understand there's just rabid debate over what the son's doing and it's a story that jesus is telling right um and maybe maybe he does it deliciously indistinct so that he can touch as many lives as possible but but in this story the son when he reaches the bottom of the barrel when he gets to that point where as tom shared in the scripture the pig food is looking pretty good to eat there was this amazing phrase. I almost wanted to stop Tom when he said it. You heard it, and, and you've heard it before, but it was this little simple phrase. He came to himself, right? He came to himself. In other words, all this stuff that had been going on was not him, right? was not him. And, and, and in the pain and the brokenness, Something because I, I pray for my children. I don't want them to experience that pain. When I pray for myself, I feel like like um, the, the the prayer in Second Chronicles. I, don't let me cause pain. Don't let me feel. I want to avoid that pain, right? But sometimes it takes that for us to be shaken out of these false mindsets that we have, and to be drawn back to ourself, who we really are. Who are you? Really, right? Who are you? Let's go back to the story for a second and think about it because in that story, um, we can see some false identities that the son was tempted uh, to embrace, right? Some false identities. He'd already come to the end of this false identity of, of I am king of my own world, right? Uh, that came to a rude end. But in the story, we see some lingering identities that he's tempted with. His despair had brought him to the place where he lowered every standard you could possibly imagine. Every sense of self-respect he lowered, including uh, entrusting himself to a Gentile who had him feed the pigs. He had been a slave, and that's the first false identity. He had been a slave of his own lusts. And desires. And, and uh, he came to the point where he said, what am I doing? What am I doing? Even my father's hired servants live better than this, right? Live better than this. I know, and I'm pointing to my head because I, if, if I'm reading this right, it's an intellectual process at this time. I know what I'll do. I'll go back and I'll say to my father, 
Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your sons. Uh, Again, debate rages. Did he really mean that? It's a story. We don't know. Jesus leaves it deliciously indistinct, right? Personally, as I live into that story, I think, no, he's still doing the head stuff. He's still doing... Here's what I'll do. uh, I'm going to try and solve my own problem. I'm going to not be a slave any longer. I'm going to reject that identity, either a slave to my own uh, self-interest or a slave to some understanding around me. I'm no longer a slave. Uh, last night as I was reflecting on this, remember that song? I'm no longer a slave. Anybody remember that? To fear. I am a child of God, right? He said, I'm no longer going to be a slave. But he's not there yet because his solution for it is not now being a slave, but his solution for it is to say, I'll make myself a hired servant. And again, we don't know what he was thinking. Was he thinking that somehow he could go back to the father whose heart he's broken and work for him and earn enough to pay back a third? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. But the son is intent on it. He's trying another identity. The identity of a hired servant. Let me just stop for a second. As many of us are still in that place where we're a slave to our own fears. We're a slave to the cultural expectations around us. We're a slave to our own lusts and brokenness. And and. We're coming to that place where we're saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I do not want to do this anymore. The solution is not works. The solution is not to go back and to somehow prove to God that you are somehow worthy, right, of His love and affection, right? But that's what, that's the identity that the Son is trying on. Now no longer a slave. I'm going to make myself a hired servant. And he, and he makes his way home. And, and, he, and as I shared with you last week, I can just picture him doing what I would do. Rehearsing in his mind what he's going to say, right? Rehearsing in his mind. Father, I'm no longer worthy to, become, to be called your son. Um, which is true. Um, but I think it's up here still. And make me as one of your hired servants. Let me just say, uh, suggest to you, and we're going to turn our attentions to the Father for our last ten minutes here, but um, those same identities are, uh, are calling your name to be a slave to your own lusts and desires. Even to be a religious slave to what you perceive God's desires are for you. Or for some of us to say, oh, I'm just going to do this Christian life so well. I'm going to be a a hired servant to God and I'm going to prove to Him that I'm worthy of His love and affection. Some of us are tempted that way. Some of us have spent our lives that way. There's a third identity that is open to you. And he mentions it, but he already considers himself unworthy of it. And I've shared with you over and over again in these brief 
years that I've had the privilege of shepherding this flock, that this is the thing I encounter most, that most people can't come to grips with the fact that God could possibly love them. We, like the younger son, say to God, God, I'm not worthy of you. And nothing that you do, God, is going to make me feel worthy, right? So, so let me, please, God, just so I can be near you, let me be a hired servant in your house. Let me just, just work hard for you and somehow just tip the balance of scales in my favor so that when I come to the end of my life, somehow, God, uh, if you grade on a curve, I'll be just far enough up there to, to make it. And all the while, God's inviting you to come to yourself. Who are you? Or maybe a better question. It's going to sound a lot like Lion King. I apologize. Whose are you? Right? When I see my daughter, when I see my son, when I'm going to get to see Chelsea this weekend, when I, when I see my second daughter, um, I'm, it's probably wrong, but I just go, that's my girl. That's my boy. So proud of them. So honored. It would break my heart. They said to me, I don't want to be I don't want to be your daughter. I don't want to be your son. I'm not worthy. It's not about your worthiness, right? We're we're family. I love you, right? It's not about worthiness. The third option for the son. The third option for you is to come to yourself. In other words, come to who you really are. Child. Child of God. Let's turn our attention for a second to the Father. Because the young man, he can't see that yet. He can't see that yet, but it got him turned. It got him heading home, right? It, it got him pointed the right direction. And, and again, I don't, my life must be dictated by Disney movies, but it's like, it's like in, uh-oh, in uh, Aladdin when he's at the bottom of the ocean, right? And the genie is saying, uh, just say the word. You've got to say, I wish that you would save my life, right? I wish. But Aladdin is unconscious, and Aladdin's head goes bonk like that. And he goes, okay, I'll take that as a yes, right? God doesn't need much from us. He just wants us to turn to Him, right? Because what happens when we turn to God? We start to see God. If, if, if we understand God to be the Father figure in this thing, we start to see these amazing truths about the Father, right? I know you know these, but, but marinate in them today. I don't know where that word came from. I apologize. Marinate in them, right? Let them soak into your soul. Here's the deal. The father was looking for his child. We'll come. We'll come in the weeks ahead. We'll come to an understanding why the father didn't go after the son. I'll suggest to you right now, it's not his job. Um, but the father was looking across the fields, right? And the father is looking for you. Looking for, for one sign that you have turned to him, right? One sign that you're, you're ready to say, I can't do this, God, on my own. And one sign that that your heart is open to what God wants to do in you. The Father wants to do in you. The Father's looking. But I'm going to take it, I'm going to take it one step further. The Father's longing. He's longing for that day when you'll turn toward Him. 
I, I, I know that I'm doing an anthropomorphism here. I'm kind of applying to God who is spirit um, uh, a human kind of feeling that we have, but, but God was the one that chose to use Father as a description of his heart, right? He's the one that in this story, Jesus, who knows the Father, who has spent eternity past and was with the Father then and will be with the Father into eternity future. Jesus, who knows the Father, says this is what he's like. He's longing. He's longing for you, right? Scripture said that the Father had compassion. The Father had compassion when He saw that Son coming. Remember, we've explored that word together before. Do you remember? Compassion means to enter into the suffering of another one, right? He sees that Son coming. He's longing for Him. He has compassion. And so He tucks His belt and he, in His culture, He makes a fool out of Himself and runs for that Son. Why? Why? Because His compassion, He knows what the community's response to that son will be. He knows that the community will not only reject him, but will probably punish him. And before anyone else can get to this child of his, he runs to him and throws himself on him, right? The father, the father looks for the son and longs for him and then lavishes his amazing love on this child who wished that he was dead. Do you see why it's so important that you don't try and wrap your brain around your own worthiness? It's not about your worthiness. It's, it's about um, a God that loves you so much that he invites you to come into his presence. Switching metaphors for just a second. I love that passage from Hebrews, right? Because the author of the book of Hebrews is trying to say to you, don't misunderstand what's going on right here. This is the day of salvation, the author of Hebrews says. And, and you can boldly approach the Father's throne. Remember, as we sang just a moment ago, He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's all these things. But, but you can boldly approach His throne. We'll see why in, in, in the weeks ahead. We'll see why. But I just want to charge you. God invites you to turn to Him and, and boldly, courageously, because you're right, you're not worthy of it, but boldly and courageously approach His throne. Right? Because it's a throne of grace. It's a throne where where you don't deserve anything that He can give you, but He lavishes it prodigiously. There's the word prodigal. You didn't think I could wrap my lips around that, did you? Um, he lavishes His love on His child. Who are you? What false identity have you been tempted to um, make your own for whatever reason? What false identity? Are you a slave? Are you just a hired servant hoping to earn your way back into relationship with God? You are neither. 
You're a child of God. And he loves you and longs to pour out his compassion on you. And if you're at that place where you've understood that, where you've, where you've you said, I, I, um, you know, I have to remind myself, Pastor Dave, every once in a while about this, but I do get it. And it makes sense, doesn't it? That we wouldn't keep this truth to ourselves. That God would invite us to go to the other younger sons and daughters and share that good news with them as well. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you for Jesus. Um, there's so many things I'm thankful for, uh, God, that, that He came uh, to reveal truth to us. And God, we're going to believe this. With all else He's done for us, we're going to believe that a big part of His coming was to reveal to us truth like this. And I pray for us, God, those of us who, who have had our images of our Heavenly Father um, tainted uh, by the culture around us, tainted by our own experiences as a child, tainted by our experiences and our failures as a parent. God, I pray that those of us who, who have um, gone out of ourselves, that by your mercy and by your grace, you would call back to you. By your mercy and grace, you would invite to your throne. By your mercy and grace, God, you would invite to our Father. We love you, God. And we um, pray for grace to approach you now. In Jesus' name. It's hard for something so simple as grace to, to stand in that truth. That's my invitation to you as we close.